You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Good Tuesday, y'all. It is Adil Royster. It is the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Uh, it's Tuesday, so of course we're doing the pod, and you know it's 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 freezing outside. I just stepped outside just to take the trash out, and it is cold as witches privates out there. So layer up, bundle up, hats, gloves, all that cool stuff. Also remember, uh, six feet. Give people six feet. On the pod today, a repeat joiner of the podcast, Steve Littman is on the line. Uh, once again, we just love hanging out. We we just love hanging out, Steve. I don't know what to tell you. Yes, I'm so happy to be here again. This is uh, I'm starting a residency on this podcast. I'm happy Seriously, to listen, and I have no problem with you living here rent-free. It's totally fine. <laughs> uh, Steve. Well, it's did, good to be here. Yes. Uh, Steve did a column that came out yesterday, and we're talking about the Sixers and the team that they've assembled that, you know, Every, everybody top to bottom has a little something to prove and uh i i really kind of agree with that column actually yeah i don't you know i start it's hard to figure out because it's it's the off season and there was uh there was media week and everybody feels like they're in the best shape of their lives and it's hard to not get too optimistic so i was trying to separate the parts of myself that was optimistic about the team and like a real view of like what about them is going to help and I feel like that sort of added motivation for a bunch of guys in the organization is important. The phrase something to prove, it's another one of those like media catchphrases, you right. know, and it's, it's one of those things that you hear and you just kind of tune it out as a journalist or as a fan or something like that, because, you know, that kind of thing said all the time. And I, I just want to know, Based on, because one thing I equate something to prove with is hungry. And I don't know, does it feel like this team might have a little like Eagle Super Bowl vibe to them a little bit, maybe? Yeah, for me, for me that phrase, I agree with you. It's like a sort of buzzwordy uh, phrase that gets thrown around a lot. For me, it has to do with guys who at this stage of their careers have been humbled by a lack of ultimate success. Um, right. know, the one guy that I talk about in length uh, uh, who actually has gotten to the top of the mountain is Doc Rivers. But in recent years, he has, you know, it seems like had some bumpy uh, spots there, especially recently in, you know, on social media and discourse. So it really is about how many guys on this team are, are looking at this and have been humbled from, early success and still have something out there that they're trying to achieve. And it, like I was saying, it kind of starts at the top down you talk about doc rivers, but then you also have to talk about Daryl Morey too. And right. when you have that hungry attitude at the top and it just kind of filters down to, you know, the 
the the head coach and all the players, even the bench guys, you know, that's that's something that you can really pay attention to and kind of take note of. Yeah, I mean, Daryl, it's interesting. I, I included in the piece uh, this quote that he had to John Clark of uh, NBC Sports Philly. He said, there's really nothing I care about. My kids are grown. I obviously didn't care <laughs> enough uh, to stay with them for a year. The only thing left is to win a title, That and this seems like the place. I mean, Daryl is driven. Every move that he's made was to try to win a title. He was like one of the only GMs during the Warriors dynasty to actually go at them and to actually go for it right now and try to knock them off. Um, yeah, he was the only GM that, that he was the only GM that did that pretty much. Yeah. I mean, outside of that, it was LeBron, you know, and LeBron is sort of a one man title contender. Um, so Daryl really, you know, was, I think ballsy and, and went after it. And I think that's because he knows that the old, the ultimate thing is winning a ring. So I think that he absolutely, he's got tons of respect and uh, he's very well known and he's a pioneer in, in the game, but I don't think he's satisfied uh, ending right now without a ring. And even before, you know, Daryl Morey versus Golden State Warriors, you know, he's built pretty, pretty damn good teams before. Like, even after the James Harden trade, like he wanted to get Dwight Howard in there and that kind of had mixed results. But I mean, even from the start, you can kind of see that Daryl was just really extremely driven to try to win a title wherever he was, be it Houston or Philly I mean, or wherever. You go back even, even uh, earlier than that. And it's Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. And, right. You know, so, so he's had all of these sorts of iterations of teams and like, one thing he says all the time is that like stars are what matters, you know, like you need stars in order to compete in, in today's NBA. And that's a fact. And, and I know that as a, as an analytical guy, he looks at it like what percentage chance do we have to win the title this year? And I think he said before, like if it is 5% or 8% or close to 10%, you have to go for it because there's enough variance and randomness that can happen that, windows are so small that when you have one and when you have two stars as the Sixers do, you really need to go for it. So I think that uh, every move that he makes is geared toward doing that right away. The Westbrook trade last year, you know, there are reports going out there that it wasn't necessarily his idea. There was some ownership tinkering. And when you see that the Sixers have Josh Harris, who we all know just loves to tinker unnecessarily, um, is, is that something that, yeah, Daryl has something to prove, but is that something that has to be in the back of his head to go from one owner that's a little bit tinkerish to another one that kind of has a uh, breeding track record of tinkering? You know, uh, first of all, the Westbrook trade was a nightmare. Um, Absolute I, you know, certifiable nightmare. It seems like this is what the reporting has been. And I feel like people like uh, Zach Lowe and Tim McMahon have talked about it. Like James Harden and Tillman Fertitta decided that they wanted Chris Paul out. Um, and at that point, Chris Paul was coming off another injury and they had just disappointed in the playoffs. It's not like Chris Paul's value was what it was this offseason where he had an all-NBA season. So, right. uh I think that, you know, when you looked around the league, there was only so many teams and, and destinations for him. And Harden likes Westbrook, and, and that's really what happened. But, 
you know, whether it was exactly him or not, his name is on that trade and, and that's, that's what has to be. I don't think that he would sign on in Philadelphia if an owner like Josh Harris, who has no basketball background and, uh, you know, Zero and, and basketball was, background. And they were in such a, that. and the Sixers were in such a bad spot. You know what I mean? They have Simmons and Embiid, but you know the Horford contract, the Harris contract isn't good. You know he certainly didn't have to come here. So I think that Harris and the rest of the ownership group really had to woo him to get him in here. And I think part of that process is giving him autonomy on personnel decisions. I would be really surprised if uh, Daryl put up with any of that sort of ownership stuff with the Sixers because he doesn't have to. And I'm sure exactly. part, of, part of taking this job was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, he's going to be really well paid. Uh, but I also need to have final say, and I need to be left alone to do my job. Right. I, I imagine part of the phone call with Josh Harris was Daryl just going, listen, I'll come to Philly, but um, I never want to see you in my office giving me like tips or ideas. Just, just no. Yeah. Oh- or like Scott O'Neill, who has been like trying to influence personnel decisions based on marketing. Like, no, 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 no. Darryl, we're good. Darryl has no time for any of that. No, you we're know? good. Like, we're good. This is a guy who wants a ring, and he needs to be empowered fully to do that. Josh, you wanna you wanna sell this team for like however many billion dollars afterwards? You know what really drives up the value of a basketball team? Uh, the fact that they're champion. Like, how about that? That's exactly right. That, how, I mean, how do you like that, Josh? You know, so many people look at the Sixers in terms of Harris, like as an asset, like these super, super rich people buy a thing, they build it up and then they sell it for much more money than they bought it for. I I understand it. So, but for so many years, it seems, I guess it it might've only felt like so many years, uh, like the Sixers were not run well and that is hurting their bottom line. Like, when fans are back allowed in, you want the team to be as good as possible and fans to be as excited as possible, which means empowering the best executives that you can to put the best product on the court. Exactly. You want to have the home fans on the court because, let's face it, in recent years, the Sixers' home away splits has been night and day, and it's, it's oh, yeah. frustrating and staggering. But at the same time, in a playoff series, you get four games at home with that crowd. Uh, pack it up, fellas. Let's go to the next round. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that's a huge part of it. And just, like, if you, if you look on social media, if you look in our Slack and, you know, everything else, like, the, the fan outlook on the Sixers has been so drastically improved ever since Maury's hire and yes. ever since Maury started making moves. I mean, it's night and day. So like, just even if you're looking at it as like a dispassionate bottom line, what makes us money? This also makes them money in the long run because a better product will give them more money. On the bench, we have Doc Rivers and you were saying he's just another guy with something to prove. He hasn't won the championship since he was with Boston Celtics. And how what what does that kind of do to a guy like Doc Rivers? Like coming out, like he won a championship in the last in the last decade. But do you think maybe he thought maybe his value was kind of wavering in the league a little bit? You know, the thing about Doc is I, I don't think he lacks respect in the league. I feel like Doc is unanimously like respected and revered by the players. You, you heard a lot of stories from the bubble when Jacob Blake got shot, that it was like they leaned on Doc for how to move forward. 
Right. You know, they were on the phone with President Obama trying to figure out what the right thing is to do. So I don't think that Doc lacks in respect. But what you're seeing, like the Clippers last year were a disaster and they disappointed in the playoffs. Doc absolutely has blame in that. But Doc is the only one that left. So he's the one getting most of the blame in media discourse out the door. You know, you see guys like Paul George who's complaining about his usage when none of the numbers even back up his claims. You know, he claimed that he was being used like Ray Allen or like Redick, and, and it just isn't true. You know, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer tweeted out right away that he actually ran more pick and roll as a ball handler last year than ever before. So I think that Doc is not immune to that sort of stuff, even though he has a ring and he has all this respect. I feel like Doc wants to prove you know, not only am I like a great coach emeritus, you know, from 2008, I'm a great coach today. And you look at the Sixers who have been this sort of hard to figure out puzzle, especially with their two best players. And he's thinking, you know, if I can be the one to solve this, like that will solidify my status next to pop next to Phil Jackson, et cetera, you know. And everything that I've been reading, what Doc's saying, like hearing Doc saying, like he really loves this team. He loves Ben Simmons. He loves Joel Embiid. The supporting cast, Tobias Harris, he has a relationship when he was a clipper out there. But that just goes even a long way because the, the coach has – like you said, he wants to prove that he can make things work. And that last year was just, you know, it, it was, it was an exception, not the norm. Right. I mean, part of that, I think you see in Doc's staff and that Doc went out and got some really, really interesting uh, assistant coaches who have been in the league for a long time and have diverse backgrounds. And we've already seen, it's only been a few days of training camp, but Doc has been sort of uh, delegating to them you know, uh, Dan Burke runs the defense and he's entrusted Dan Burke to come up with like the best defensive style and Dave Yeager coming up with offensive stuff between Simmons and Embiid where they really, if you're a Sixers fan, you don't want it to be your turn, my turn all the time with Joel and Ben. Like yeah. you want them to benefit each other playing on the court together because, you know, they're not best friends off the court. I don't think there's a problem there, but I don't think that they're hanging out constantly so I would like them to interact more on the court uh, and come up with some actions that are really go-to stuff, which Doc has already alluded to. I mean, he hired Sam Cassell, who's already been working with Simmons and has worked with a lot of great guards in the past. Um, so, yeah, it seems like Doc is, is all in on this, and, uh, and, and he seems pretty eager to make this work. And I'll be honest, you know, last year's the, the Clippers team, and I really hate it when teams just, like – they go star hunting without thinking about fit. And, uh -huh. you know, Kawhi and Paul George, yeah, they're two really big names. And, you know, they're both top 20, top 15 players in the league, depending on how you feel about Paul George. But, like, they both kind of play the same position. I mean, George can probably throw down on at the three and Kawhi at the four. But, you know what? They blew that 3-1 lead against Denver – but I don't really blame Doc so much as I blame crappy team construction, which is something yeah, I, I that mean, we're familiar with here. You know, it's sort of impossible because it's like if you're the Clippers and you're chasing Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard tells you, okay, I'll come on the condition that you can get Paul George on the team, there, you sort of have to do it. I mean, Kawhi is an assassin and just won finals MVP, uh, just won another ring, and – 
you know, they, their feet were sort of held to the fire and they had to do this two-year experiment. The, the brevity of those contracts puts pressure on everything, you know? Right. They had, and I don't think that Doc is blameless in this. Like their culture, their, their chemistry was not good. A year before, which now feels like three years before, but if, <laughs> if you go back a year before, chemistry was the main thing with those Clippers. It was Pat Bev, it was Montrez Harrell, it was uh, Tobias Harris when he was there, Gallinari, uh, Lou Williams, like those guys were not expected to be a good team. They all played together and they turned into a playoff team, uh, surprisingly. When you look at last year, they were sort of crushed by the expectation they had that they are going to be in the Western Conference Finals with the Lakers yeah. and may the best team win. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's, it's a strange thing. Neither Paul George or Kawhi seem like vocal leaders at all. You know, like they both seem like stars who who you know lead on the court and not so much in the locker room so i think it was sort of a mix of 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 mistakes and and you know iffy chemistry and also just the ticking bomb of these contracts that if they don't win a championship this year who knows if either of them will be back so i I do think that doc is in charge you know so i think he deserves blame there but i think it was a tough situation and uh and it's a hard one to win it with doc having the something to prove attitude and it comes to the Sixers team and you mentioned expectations. What does that kind of do for him? Because you could say that the Sixers are a contender, but then, I mean, me personally, I kind of feel they're like a fringe contender. They're like Mm -hmm. on that cusp. Me too. So Um, do you feel like the expectations might help dock a little more in this case? You know, what I've been saying about the team in that, of course, like, you know, it's funny. All of us feel so much better about the Sixers right now. And, and yeah. to actually be excited to watch them play, you know, and, and see who's developed and see this new fit, all of that. Um, I would say, yes, I agree. They're a fringe contender, you know, maybe the four seed, et cetera, you know. But for me, it's like they take that step up from fringe contender to legit, you know, all caps contender if – Simmons and Embiid take a step. You know what I mean? If Simmons and Embiid come into the season and have taken a like very meaningful step into like every night balls out like star players uh, that the league has to respect and that will not sleepwalk through away games, all of that stuff. So for me, I think Doc looks at it as like, if we can gain development out of these two guys and they take the leap, then we have a real contender and then we have like a real sustainable contender uh, here in Philadelphia. So that to me is the big challenge that Doc sees is like, how do I get these two guys to play together and to get better from where they already are? This is what I want to see when they start against the wizards. And if they are able to break the two, three zone that a lot of teams employed against them last year, if they have figured out how to navigate through that i will be shouting from the rooftops like okay this is it we're going that's it we're going to the, we're going to the finals get the right. flows ready like that's it so a few things about facing zones i think it'll be <laughs> a lot harder to zone on the sixers if danny green and seth curry and tobias harris like willing shooter firing from deep tobias harris are on the court i feel like there, you know, it's a lot easier to zone in the sixes when Horford and Richardson and, you know, let's say Matisse was out there. Then you can really zone it up because you're not too worried about being a second late on a three-point shooter. Right. But you have guys like Green and, uh, 
and uh, Curry, Curry and Harris. The other thing about zones is that it's hard to box out in a 2-3 zone because you're not stuck to a man. You know what I mean? Like you're going in and out and guys are sort of, sort of floating around you. The guy who can also help break those zones is Dwight Howard because he's a monster on rebounds and tap outs. And, you know, he can gain you so many extra possessions. So I feel like between Howard and the new shooters, the Sixers might be able to deal with the zones in a lot better way. I always frown at the, the tap out rebounds I have for years. But now that we have Dwight Howard on the team, like, I feel like I'm way more accepting. You know, they're effective. You know, if you can get the ball back out to a guard and get 14 seconds put back on the clock, it's like it raises your your uh, possessions. And if like if the Sixers are planning on being a defense first team that needs to figure out their half court offense, the more possessions, the better. Between the two all stars, Simmons and Embiid. Uh, Joel had a bit of a down year last year. His points went from 27 and a half to 23. And he just looked gassed like really quickly and I feel like Embiid really has to like you said take that step to getting back to being one of those top five players in the league and not incurring the wrath of Shaquille O'Neal every Tuesday on the (laughs) TNT broadcast Um, with all the new pieces and attitudes around that training camp like if you were Joel Embiid like how would you be feeling right now you know, it's funny when you think about Embiid and, you know, he came into the league, he's hurt for two years, he becomes like a sort of a meme, you know, like he's talking yeah. on Twitter, people find him very funny, you know, lovable, wow, what potential, then he plays and he's great right away, you know, he's legit one of the best centers in the league in his rookie year, um, he goes through a couple more injuries, the Sixers go through a million more uh, iterations of teams around him, uh, and then you have a season like last year where the, the players the Sixers brought in made things meaningfully harder on Embiid to do what he's good at. Um, they no longer had Redick or Butler, who were his two closest friends, it seemed. Right. And the two people that meshed well with his game. Uh, and he had, a, by his standards, a down year. Now, if you go into the advanced stuff, like the Sixers still kill teams whenever Embiid's out there, and especially when it's Embiid and Simmons and guys who can shoot, all of that stuff hasn't changed. But it was very clear to me that a lot of games during the season, Embiid was dragging and sort of half playing and half not, turning it on in the fourth quarter, all of that kind of stuff. That, you know, he has to, you know, he didn't make all NBA or all defense. And I think that matters to him. It matters to him how he's perceived. And it matters to him to win games. So for me, what he wants to prove, I think, is that, like, you guys forgot about me and I was hiding in plain sight and, like, I'm still that guy. And now the Sixers have alleviated a lot of that pressure on him that made it so hard for him to excel in the ways that he can excel. So for me, it's like the Sixers have put together a roster now that will complement Embiid when he's on the court and will hold up when he's off the court. And now it's on him to, you know, really put up or shut up and, and, and lead the team vocally and on the court. And we're not – I don't think anybody is really asking for, you know, the, the Joel Embiid MVP season. But, like, just getting back to two years ago where he was All-NBA, All-Star, and All-NBA defense. Just some combination of that, right? Yeah. I, you know, the MVP I, – I sort of think that Embiid won't be a candidate for MVP maybe ever just because I don't want him playing every game in the season. Like, a yeah. lot of times the MVP – like, James Harden – 
like misses like two games a year. I don't think that that's the smart thing to do with Embiid. I think it's smart to keep him fresh. Um, it's really just about when Embiid play. He can't do the like resting in games thing, you know? Yeah. Like I totally am on board. If you want to take a game off, it's a back to back. You're away, you're home, whatever, like take a game off. But when you're out there, like be that guy, like be, you know, if like it's a, if it's a 72 game season, if he plays 58, I'm fine with that. You know, as, you know, as long as he is playing at his peak powers and, and is into it and, and ready to go, I'm fine. And I kind of feel like Doc is the kind of head coach where, you know, if Joel isn't playing up to par, then I feel like Doc is going to be that kind of coach that just like brings him to the bench, subs in Dwight Howard and is just like, listen, big man, um, we kind of need you out there and like you're 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 dragging ass out there. So I, I, I need you to step this up a little bit. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave Dwight out there. Right. It's, it, you know, it has to be a mixture of things. I think a lot of people think about accountability is like the giant buzzword that everybody's saying in Sixers mm-hmm. camp. And I feel like sometimes people think of accountability as like, if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot, he needs to be benched for five games. And it's like, that is fantasy land. Like that's yeah. not happening in the NBA. These guys are like, these guys control the league as they should. Like you really can't give them so many slaps on the wrist. Like you have to, you know, it's a balance, you know? So I feel like they do have to feel accountable to their head coach, which is a new voice and, and a guy with a lot of gravitas and, and doc. They also have to feel accountable to each other, you know, Embiid and Simmons and, and all the core guys on the team uh, and, and, and to, to the city, you know, and to, to bringing a title to Philadelphia, you know, Embiid has talked very much about that, about wanting to be better about, you know, feeling like he owes a, a title for, to, to Philadelphia. So I think that, you know, yes, they do have the right people around them, but part of it really needs to come from within and that, that we won't know until we see it. I think that's one of the things that always gets lost in what happened to the team after Jimmy Butler left. Cause Jimmy Butler's definitely one of those guys that will get in somebody's face if they're not yes. playing up to par. And, you know, Al Horford is not that extroverted. Uh, Joel is very extroverted, but I don't think he's that guy to like pull Ben aside and just be like, yo, what, what the hell? You're, you're sitting there wide open. Like take the three, like drive the lane, like get, get angry when you go to the lane, Ben. It's like, we don't really have that guy on the floor, but I like doc on the bench is at least a start. Maybe he can, you know, instill that kind of level of confidence in somebody like an Embiid or maybe a Simmons. I don't know. You know, it never felt last year at all. Like these guys love playing together, you know, like it felt like everything had to be so thought out. Like every offensive set in the half court needed to be an actual play getting run you know, from the bench where it's a dribble handoff, and there's action on the weak side, et cetera. Like all that kind of stuff just seemed like so much work in order to get anything done so that there was no freedom and that there was no improvisation. And, and it seemed like, you know, that team was just not the right fit. Obviously it wasn't, you know? <laughs> so my hope now is with guys that fit, you know, and they're more like the, you know, 2018 Sixers, uh, you know, when it's Joel, Joel and Ben and then guys that can shoot and defend. Uh, my hope is that that freedom breeds like a new level of fun and of uh, of ownership in this team and in the way that they play. Let's talk about Ben Simmons real quick. He was not available when the Sixers got swept by the Celtics. And does he have something, does he have a different feeling of something to prove just because, you know, he wasn't out there for that sweep? 
Yeah, I mean, the thing with the, it's tough with Ben because I think I wrote it really is. That, like, that like Embiid is pretty expressive, you know, like whether it's through what he's saying or what he's not saying, like you can pretty much figure out where Joel is at because he will tell you and like he will show you. Uh, ben is a lot more close to the vest. Ben is not going to show many like flaws in his game or in his character. You know, I think part of not shooting is not wanting to be bad at something. You know, he's so good at all of these other things. He's thinking, why would I do the thing I'm bad at? So with Simmons, I just don't think that he's immune to the way the league is thinking about him right now. You know, like I think that he knows, even though he just made all defense and all NBA, but his team got swept. They were also a six seed when he was there. So it's not like, you know, they were great. And then without him, they sucked. It's like, right. no, they were disappointing the whole year. So for me, you know, and, and this year Simmons hasn't done any of the empty gym shooting videos. Like he hasn't promised anything in the media. Like I feel like he's ready to put his head down and just be a great player, you know, not like a, not a fringe great player, not a sometimes great player. The one thing you can say for Simmons last year is that like he played hard all the time. Yes, you know? he did. He didn't shoot, but like so many times it looked like the Sixers were sleepwalking and you would look up and Ben has five steals and he's dunking on the other end. Like, right. For, for me, it's like if he can weaponize his, his speed and his size and his athleticism and get to the line 10 times a game and like just sort of really run point and like be in charge of this team, uh, that's, that's what he wants to prove. And he wants to prove that I don't think Ben Simmons likes losing, you know, Ben Simmons is not born for losing and, and every, every step of the way in the NBA, he's been a winning player. So, uh, he absolutely wants to take that second step. We're going to see, you know, we're going to see how his game has changed though. You know, it, we're going to find out all together once the season starts, how different he is on the court. And We've seen with cases like Markel Fultz and st- players like that, that like psychology is a thing in athletes. Mm-hmm. So right. if you're somebody like Ben Simmons and you hear all these reports, oh, he doesn't shoot, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. But in the back of his head, he's like, yo, I've made first team all defense. I have the basketball IQ that really nobody has seen since Magic. What, what, why are you focusing on the stuff that I can't do? Like that, that gets in people's heads. I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I think that, I, and, I, and I would hope that Doc has brought this up. Like one of the reasons that people do that is because the team doesn't win enough. So it's like in losses, it's really easy to say, boy, look at Simmons. He was open here in wins. You're just watching highlights. So yeah, like the 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 antidote to all of that is to win and to take that leap. And like my, my, prayer is that Simmons and Embiid you know sort of have this ownership to each other and this like bond with each other that like it's on us to do this thing like we have to be the two guys the two voices to lead this team uh where it hasn't been you know since 01 and 83 before that and you know like we just have to take this organization by the neck and drag them with us, you know? And now they have better players around them that can help them do that, but it really won't happen unless those guys do it. And this brings me to an interesting point that I was thinking about because of your column. Something else that has to be proven, and they're probably sick and tired of hearing this, but I feel like this is the year where Ben and Joel are really just like, listen, all y'all need to shut up. We're going to prove that we work together. Yes. No, that's, I mean, I think that's a great point. And, 
And, uh, you know, you've seen them talking about it. You know, Ben made the joke about living with Joel, which I enjoyed. <laughs> uh, but then Joel talked about it pretty seriously and was like, our relationship is totally good. Uh, you know, I, when, uh, when we play two on two, I want to play with him. Like when I'm working out, I want to work out with him. Like, it seems like there's a real effort this year to team up together and like take care of business. So listen, we're, we're all going to find out together. This is all sort of conjecture until you see how it goes on the court, but I would love to see them interacting more on the court and like the Sixers having some go-to stuff to run between those two guys. And I tweeted this the other day, and this is part of my uh, hashtag local reporting matters. If you look throughout the media landscape, it's not anybody inside the the Philadelphia area writing about the Sixers. No one is saying that. It's ESPN. It's FS1. It's whoever. Outside looking in. They're always saying, hey, this doesn't work. We need to break them up. Meanwhile, the local people that write and cover about this team all the time, 24-7, 365, we are just like, no, shut up. That, that's not true. Stop trying to break yeah. up our two stars. Stop it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You know, I, I think that it's like salacious to talk about two stars that may or may not fit together. And Simmons and Embiid are better than Damon CJ, like, you know, and CJ and Dame are great friends. You know, that's the one thing that, that you have to say is that it's not like Simmons and Embiid, you know, uh, over the years are always at dinner together and always, you know, interacting together. That's yeah. fine. But, but I think that they need to become invaluable to each other on the court and like totally realize the other's importance in order to, you know, keep this partnership going. And I see no reason to break it up now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just hoping that the, the two of them really take that, uh, amongst themselves and, and, and go from there. Absolutely agree. When it was LeBron, Wade and Bosch, when they started, they were barely over 500 when they started. So right. everybody just needs to calm down. Um, yeah. the, the new guys coming in. So Steph Curry, Danny Green, Steph Any, Curry. Seth I wish Curry. Steph Curry. I wish it was Steph. Yeah, I wish it was Steph Curry. Sorry, I did yeah. not mean to get everybody like all riled up. Seth. Yeah, everybody's checking Twitter. S-E-T-H. Do not check Twitter. It's Seth. That's a listen. There are too many Curries in the league. Like I, I can't. That's right. But yeah, Seth Curry and Danny Green. They come in. Danny Green, maybe to a lesser extent, because he already has a ring. But you know, Seth Curry. I don't know. I don't know if he has like little brother, big brother envy energy going on or anything like that. But I mean, that's that that's something to maybe think about. Like your brother like comes to Thanksgiving dinner with, you know, all those uh, Larry O'Brien trophies and all those MVP trophies and the glittery rings. And Seth is just sitting there in the corner, just eating cranberry sauce, just just hanging out, just chilling. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you can really get into armchair psychology if you, if you <laughs> take it to that. To that, extent. I was only, but, but, I was only a psych minor, Steve. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you think about Seth, he wants to prove his medal as like a lead contributor on a championship contender, you know, and that's what he wants to do. So it's like, you know, I'm sure every any time you get traded, you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder because one yep. team just said we don't want you anymore, and we're going to replace you with this guy. So. I think that Seth sees the value in him playing next to Ben Simmons where he's just really a perfect, you know, offensive fit right next to Ben and Ben can Ben and Joe can sort of cover up for his defensive uh, 
sort of deficiency here and there because he's a smaller guy. But yep. I think that the chip on his shoulder is really to continue to make a name for himself in the league that is not just like a split screen with Steph and, uh, and his father. And Danny Green, he won, he won a title with Toronto. He won a title with the Lakers. And it's just like, he's, he's just out here chilling. But like at the same time, you know, he's, he's getting a little up there in age. And he probably just wants to prove that, you know what? I, I still got it. I'm still a contributor in this league. Well, and Danny just had a bad playoff. So, you know, uh, he was getting a lot of flack on social media from fans. Oh, God, yeah. He, you know, was talking about getting death threats online and, and all what of that. What the is hell? That's crazy. But um, I think that, you know, he's a prideful guy who wants to continue to prove his value on good teams, you know? Um, so, you know, Danny was a starter on the last two championship winners. So I don't think that he's worried about, worried about legacy or anything at this point. I think that he just wants to continue to add to winning cultures. Tobias Harris, we got to talk about him. Yeah. The the contract, and we're talking about guys with something to prove. Tobias, I, what what has to be his mindset? Because he hears it all the time. Not worth the contract. Had such a down year. Yeah, he seems like a real good guy and a real good locker room guy, but he's vastly overpaid. Like I, Tobias just wants to get these people to shut the hell up. You know, it's like, the thing about the contract, he's never going to reconcile the contract for some people. Because never. Like, in order to be worth a $35 million a year contract, you have to be a literal superstar. Like, that is the way that you are worth that contract. And, you know, guys like Embiid and Simmons and, and uh, you know, Harden and Curry, all those guys, those guys are worth it because that's a going rate for those guys. Tobias got overpaid. There's nothing anyone can do about that. I don't blame him at all for taking the contract. You know, you can certainly blame the Sixers over the years for the trade or for the, for the contract. It's not perfect. The thing with me for Tobias is that he can't be bad in the playoffs. Like, he has had two playoffs with the Sixers, both of which he was not particularly good in them. And he needs to just continue being like this metronome of good play, which he usually is during the season. He's always available during the season. He's a solid shooter. He needs to shoot more from three, but like, he needs to keep that up in the playoffs and, and continue giving out that, that sort of uh, output. And I think that he's a really, you know, if you listen to him talk, like he's a prideful guy. Like he wants to be valuable. He wants to be a core guy. And I'm sure that he is not happy with the way he's played in the playoffs. So I think that, uh, I think that next time around, the next time in the playoffs, he's going to really have it upon himself to, you know, take a step up and just be consistent and be who he is in the regular season in the postseason. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because, you know, you're in the slack as much as I am. But, you know, I am one of the biggest Tobias Harris uh, defenders. Have been, like, did I think the contract, did I think it was too much? Yes. But was that basically the market price? Also, yes. So in that, in that sense, yeah, he's overpaid, but like that's what the market was for Tobias Harris. Like that's what that's what teams were offering him. So it's like, what what do you expect the Sixers to do? You know, during the uh, the shutdown last year, the COVID shutdown, and as as the bubble was getting ready to start, there was all of this stuff about Tobias and who he is and how he's tried to keep the team together and uh, just sort of as a leader in the locker room and all of that. And I wrote this piece for Liberty Ball. It was about like. Tobias Harris and the concept of multiple truths. Like one truth is that 
Tobias Harris is on a huge overpay and he does not uh, play up to the number on his contract. That's a mm-hmm. fact. There's no way around it. Also, he's a good player and he's good in the locker room and he's helpful to this team. You know what I mean? Like those things exist at the same exact time, even though people feel like you either have to be out or in on a guy like Tobias, when I don't think it's true. Like, I feel like you can be like, man, that contract sucks. I wish that they didn't overpay so heavily for him, but also like, He's not a he's not a net negative on the court. Like he is helpful next to Embiid. He's helpful next to Simmons. He's well liked by everybody. You know, it's like the Sixers could have salary dumped Harris onto somebody like the Knicks without having to take back salary, but they didn't do that because he helps them on the court. You know, that's certainly not to say that he's untradeable, but like they're not just going to dump him because he provides some of what they need, and especially under Doc, you would hope that he can optimize him in the way that he did in LA. Totally, absolutely agree. And it's not like it's not like he's, you know, Bismack Biombo and the Hornets just, you know, collecting a check. Like Tobias right. Harris is useful in so many ways, as you just pointed out. Right. And, and and he's just he's also not like if you look at Tobias, he's not content being Bobby Bonilla and just like he's collecting not. checks. Like he's not going to do that. Like he he is a hard worker. And he wants to help the team. So I'm not saying he's a perfect player and he's been bad in both of these most recent playoffs, but I feel like he will take it upon himself uh, to be better and to be better for the team uh, on and off the court consistently. All right. Last thing, and this is going to be a little bit fun. The, the, the Sixers marketing uh, group, um, do you feel like they have something to prove because they, they, they have to prove that, listen, our jerseys are fine. We don't need to go back and reestablish the 2000, 2001 Sixers unis. You know, I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. The new Philadelphia Sixers. Um, I don't know. I'm not, people have real takes on jerseys. Like people have like such defined takes when a jersey comes yeah. out. It's a I jersey, don't. folks. I sort of feel fine about them. Like I, I think that the players are awesome and, and it'll be cool when they wear them and, you know, there are jerseys I like more than others, and I didn't love the Boathouse Row thing, but I'm fine with it. You know, oh, like, I love I really the Boathouse Row unis. I, I love those. Who, who cares? You know, the problem with that for me is that they teased the crap out of the AI jersey <laughs> for a full week ahead of time. Like, we just set up all of this expectation that they're just going to be the AI jerseys, but the only thing they have in common is that they're black. Like, it, to me, that, like, fans would have felt so differently about them if they just dropped it like an album with no uh with like, no hype at all exactly no hype <laughs> at all but to do all of these like silhouettes with ai ahead of time like they're just black jerseys but they're not the o1 jerseys like the o1 jerseys aren't even objectively beautiful jerseys but they're nostalgic and they remind us of ai and we all love that time period like people would love if you just did those jerseys but obviously it's not going to happen so yeah my my only take is really that the Sixers shot themselves in the foot by teasing those jerseys like crazy and then not providing those jerseys, but like a different version of a black jersey. Listen, the, my, my favorite Sixers uni is uh, one from the, I think it's the late 70s. It just says Sixers mm-hmm. on the front, stars down the side, and they're just oh, it's kind cool. of a rounded font. It's like one of, it's one of Dr. J's like first unis. Oh, got it. I love, the, I love those retro unis. And I, I love just, you know, playing on NBA 2K and just, you know, just running with those jerseys and just people looking and then just getting messages like, where did you get that? Where did you get that jersey Me from? Me too. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. No, like that, that's a Sixers jersey. I don't know what to tell you. 
I, right, I will say right, right. my my favorite alternate jersey the last maybe like five years, uh, the Minnesota Prince. I I have a Minnesota Prince oh, those Covington. Are great. Those are cool. I have a Minnesota Prince Covington. It's the best purchase I've ever made in my life. Oh, that's awesome. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> I just looked them up. Yeah, these are really cool. Oh, my goodness. Steve Littman, gastroenteritis blues, uh, Jersey aficionado. And, uh, <laughs> Steve, always love having you on the pod. Um, once again, like people should know how to find you at this point because you've been on the pod so many times. But just in case they're listening for the first time and just now hearing you, uh, why don't yes. you tell everybody how to find you on social media? Uh, it's at Steve J. Lippman uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, are you ready for uh, tonight's uh, episode of The Bachelorette? Or is that oh more, my of, a God, buddy, or is that more of a question for Emily? <laughs> oh, no. It's a, now I'm hooked on it. So, yeah, See? I can't wait. I can't wait. And uh, it's, it's so good. I can't get enough of it. This is what Emily does to us. This is she what really she does. does. She, she oh really my does. goodness. Oh my God. So much trash reality television. Emily and Dan Volpone also like already loved it. So oh uh, my this God. year, like we started doing the podcast and then uh, the new season started. So yeah, I hopped on the bandwagon and now I can't stop. J- just kidding. Love you, Emily. And uh, yeah, <laughs> when, when, when Challenge Double Agent starts, yeah, we'll have talks about that too. <laughs> But Steve, thank you for having me on, buddy. Appreciate you as always. Uh, next time, anytime, it's always a fun time. Good talking to you, buddy. Have a, have good, a good, have a good week. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today